Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your Witches and a Druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Canadian podcast about paganism in today's modern society. Welcome back to season three of Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Today we present a spooky story read by Karen Larter. Follow me into the night and let me weave you a tale. Tonight's story comes from More Ghost Stories of Nova Scotia by Vernon Ockel. No one walks alone. Emily knew all the rules. The 47-year-old Windsor resident who grew up in Shelburne area in the province's south shore says that she remembers the events of that August night in 1984 as if it were only yesterday. From an early age, she says her parents taught her not to talk to strangers, and she practiced what they told her. She considers herself to have been street smart, and even today she says she is constantly aware of her surroundings. Old habits die hard, Emily says. It's not that my parents were trying to frighten me and my sisters, but they wanted to make sure we were prepared for anything. So when they talked, I listened. For as far back as she can remember, she was told about the dangers of talking to strangers and going with people she didn't know. She's sure she would never have done that as a child, not even in a small town where she was familiar with a lot of people, or at least saw people every day who she could easily recognize. However, thanks to her parents, she was always mindful of possible dangers. As such, she was cautious especially when she was out on her own. Her parents insisted that her and her sisters should always be with each other or a friend, especially in the evening hours. But Emily points out that was not always possible. It really was hard when I got older and wanted to be with my friends, she explains. My sisters weren't always with me, but when she found herself in a situation where she was alone, she remembered what her parents taught her. She avoided dark streets high bushes, stayed where there were lots of lights, always walked in neighborhoods where there were lots of homes. She stuck to familiar areas. And she would never, under any circumstances, get into a vehicle unless it was with someone she knew very well, and then only if her parents had given her explicit permission to be in the company of this person. While she thinks her parents did an excellent job teaching her and her sisters of the possible dangers that might lurk around every corner, she understands the delicate balance that they faced. She knows they didn't want to make her so afraid that she would not go outside, or intimidated that she would not avoid people altogether. She understands there are dangers in the world. And there are people who will take advantage of children, especially when they are alone and at their most vulnerable state. But she believes it's also important that children learn how to associate with people because they cannot live in a bubble. Emily knows her parents, both of whom have now passed away, meant well. But as she matured, she often felt like telling them that they couldn't wrap her and her sisters in a cocoon. I'm sure that they understood that things happen no matter what precautions you take, Emily says. No matter what you do. 
There are people out there who are always trying to do the opposite. And now I know mom and dad were always trying to protect us from those kinds of people. So she took heed in their lessons and followed her parents' instructions to the letter, even when she was at a friend's house and it became time for her to go home after supper. She always timed her departure so that she would be home before it got dark. Emily and her best friend Amanda spent most of their time between each other's homes, which were separated by a mere 15-minute walk, and they knew the route they always traveled very well. Emily had it timed perfectly that whenever she was at a friend's home, she could leave and arrive at her own house in about 12 minutes, if she went very quickly and didn't talk to anyone. Before leaving Amanda's house, she made a habit to phone ahead and let her parents know that she was on her way. Maybe she was being a little paranoid, she concedes, but it only took a minute to call ahead, and it made her feel comfortable that her parents knew she was on her way so they could watch for her. Sometimes one of her parents would even offer to meet her, but as she got older, she decided that was no longer necessary. However, she still phoned them and told them that she was on her way. Maybe it was just a courtesy, but in a way, it also made her feel better knowing that if she wasn't home at a reasonable time, her mom and dad would come looking for her. However, on this particular night in August, 1984, when she phoned home, she was surprised when no one answered. She remembered her parents telling her they were likely going to drop by the hospital and visit a sick relative, and that they might not be at the house when she was ready to come home. They had also told her that they would make sure there was a key in the secret hiding place in the back shed. She remembered her mom had told her that they would not be late, that she should get the key from the shed, come inside, lock the door behind her, and not open it for anyone. Listening as the phone rang, Emily recalls she was somewhat nervous thinking about going home alone in an empty house, especially because it was dark but she felt she was growing up and could handle the responsibility. There was no question that she could remain at Amanda's house until she was certain her mom and dad had returned. But she figured she was now old enough to handle it on her own, so she headed for a walk. Amanda's mom had also kindly offered to walk with her, but she told her she was fine, and off she went. Thinking back, she remembers she walked quickly down the sidewalk, which was otherwise empty, the cool breeze tossing her long brown hair around her head. She admits she was scared thinking about the idea of heading home alone, and she had taken this route hundreds, if not thousands of times, over the years, and she thinks she could have probably followed the sidewalk with her eyes closed. But, she points out, it's the little things about being alone that frightened her, and by the time she reached the halfway point, she had managed to work herself up into such a tizzy that she began to regret her decision to leave Amanda's place. However, she knew it was too late to turn back since she was just about home. Maybe it was the idea of being on the street by herself, or perhaps the thought of going home to an empty house. Or maybe it was the memories of all the stories she had heard over the years about strangers and little kids. But the farther Emily got from her friend's house, the more nervous she became. If only she had someone to walk with her, she thought. As the evening's light continued to fade into the night, Emily remembers that she began to shiver. As she suddenly felt very alone and vulnerable. She hated that feeling. Come on, Emily, she told herself, moving quickly down the street towards her home. You can do this. You're old enough to handle this. You're eleven almost a teenager. It's time to grow up. She was so wrapped up in her thoughts that by the time she sensed the presence beside her, it was too late to avoid contact. Glancing over her shoulder, she was startled to see an older man suddenly walking directly behind her. But she was relieved. He was maintaining his pace. He was also keeping his distance. She had no idea where he had come from or who this man was. She doesn't remember recognizing him as being from the neighborhood. But as she turned around and got a good, clear look at his wrinkled face, he returned the biggest, warmest smile she had ever seen. Although this man was a total stranger, 
In no way did I feel threatened or afraid of him. If anything, she definitely felt warm toward the man, even though she had no idea who he was. Where are you heading? The man asked her. His voice was friendly, almost soothing. Surprisingly, his words sounded full of life even though he looked very old. Home, she told him immediately, thinking she should not be talking to him. She feared her parents would be very disappointed if they knew that she was doing that. But it was as if she felt compelled to speak. By yourself, he asked. His voice was soft. My house is just up the street a little way, and my mom and dad are waiting for me there, she told him. Even though she knew her parents weren't home. Very good, the old man replied. You are a brave young girl to be here by yourself just before dark. I'm not afraid, she answered. As they talked, Emily and the strange man continued along their route, with him keeping distance several steps behind her, but perfect time with her, step for step. It's a very nice evening, she remembers the man saying. Yes, it is, she agreed, while keeping her eyes glued on the street. She was prepared to make a run for safety if he made the wrong move towards her. She was sure she could come up with a distance between them if she had to. I like these late summer evenings, he continued to say. They're not too hot, and it's starting to cool off. I like them too, but it means summer's almost over and we will soon be heading back to school. Emily still vividly remembers the conversation. Yes, I suppose it does, he agreed. But I like school, she remembers telling him. That is good, he replied. In short order, Emily realized that she had reached her destination and announced, I'm here, this is my house. She recalls him saying, very well. And then just as suddenly as he appeared, the old man was gone. At that point, she could see that her mother had been standing on the front doorstep awaiting her arrival. We just this minute pulled into the yard, Emily, her mom said. As she greeted her daughter by the front door, you made out okay coming from Amanda's house? Yes, Emily said to her mother. I was a little frightened at first, but halfway there I met this nice old man who walked the rest of the way with me. Until I got here in the walkway. I know he was a stranger, but I could tell right away that he was okay. You must have seen him. Seen who? Emily remembers her mother appearing puzzled by what her daughter had told her. You must have seen the nice old man that walked right behind me, Emily explained. We were talking about the weather and school. I know he was a stranger. I know I should not talk to strangers, but he seemed very friendly. He was here just a minute ago. Appearing lost for words, her mother finally said, Emily, honey, I've been standing here for the last few minutes, and I watched you come up the sidewalk. Do you honestly believe that if I had seen you talking to a strange man, I wouldn't have said something to you? No, Emily answered, throwing a puzzled glance at her mother. I guess not. There was no man behind you, her mother told her. I would have seen him. You were all alone. No, Mom, she insisted. There was a man with me. I don't know what to tell you, Emily, but I did not see any man with you, her mother replied, opening the door. You must have been really nervous and just imagined him. Okay, maybe you didn't see him, Emily told her mother, but I'm telling you, he was there. Fine, Emily, her mother finally said. Let's go inside. It's getting late, and it's time for you to get ready for bed. At that point... Emily remembers that both she and her mother dropped the subject. But even to this day, all these years later, she cannot get the image of that nice old man out of her mind. She's sure he was there. She felt really comfortable and safe with him. Maybe, she thinks, it was her guardian angel. But whatever the case, she knows she was not walking alone that night, and she never forgot how safe he made her feel. A few years later, as she and her mother were going through some old family photographs, Emily was caught off guard when she turned over a picture, and there he was. Staring up at her from the torn and tattered photo was the same old man who had walked with her that night. I'm positive it was the same man, she says, and I quickly asked my mom who he was, but she didn't know for sure. 
these particular photos were in a box that her own mother had passed on to her before she died. But it must have been a relative or someone close to the family, Emily concludes. The question is, why did he walk with me that night? And why have I never seen him again? Both good questions indeed. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Three Witches and a Druid, our second episode of our third season, which is absolutely insane, sitting around talking about our experiences with paganism and pagan-adjacent things. I'm Margot. And I'm Maeve. Gwen. And I'm Brian. And I just interrupted a conversation because we were talking about scary movies that we watched much too young. And today's episode is about our experiences with the other side, the other world, the other dimensions. And I kind of felt it was a little fitting. We were talking about watching scary movies too young, which I never did because I was terrified of the dark anyway, so that wasn't happening. But Amityville Horror the movie came up, the original one. And I was in high school, actually, when that came out in the theaters. And I went to see it with four friends. And I was quite surprised with myself that I was okay at like driving home. I felt all right. I was kind of staring out the window, watching the stars as we were driving. And then one of the girls in the car says, you know, it really makes you think. I was gone. Like nightmares for days, couldn't sleep, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. It was awful. Absolutely awful. So I've never been a horror movie kind of person. So what brought this up is that my six-year-old has decided to go out for Halloween as an individual called Huggy Wuggy. He's terrifying. He's terrifying. I was terrified. I would Google it in a safe space, <laughs> maybe in the sunlight, but that is what he has chosen. And he has the doll. He, he has two of the dolls. Oh, He has Huggy Wuggy and there's the female. What's the female's name? Kissy Missy. I'm telling you, when he brought it out and showed me, I, I like got chills down my spine. It was terrifying. <laughs> and there, what's the other characters? There's Mommy Long Legs. She's like an am- animatronic spider woman. Yeah. yeah, it's lovely. I remember seeing a Nightmare on Elm Street much too young, like once similar to mm-hmm. like going. O- I went over to a friend's. It was like a whole bunch of us from the neighborhood. It was probably ten kids there. I think it was like the night before Halloween, and yeah, none of us were <laughs> age appropriate for that movie. <laughs> uh, but I think the first movie I ever went to go see in theaters was Gremlins, mm. and probably not. I think it was Gremlins two. In PEI, we had park supervisors, and the park supervisor would take you to like swimming. And one of the activities would go to the theater. I don't think she knew what the movie was <laughs> and brought a bunch of like 10 year olds to this. Well, because it's, you know, in the beginning, there's these cute, fuzzy little, like there were toys of the yeah, Gremlins yeah. and they were sweet. So yeah. that's kind of what you're thinking. And not so much. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. Not so much. Yeah. I saw my parents allowed like they were very lax if you could sneak into the movie rated 14 plus go ahead we don't care you can pass we didn't they didn't care alien amityville horror and i think when a stranger calls i saw all of them. oh my god <laughs> it was crazy but no alien messed me up well, i love how for, it's not aliens it's the first, first one, one which and, was straight up a horror movie which 30 years i was yeah. a mess now i did see the second one in the theater which is a bit more of an action movie but yeah. that was still terrifying but that first one was more terrifying. Well, and, and that's that what makes it terrifying is you don't see the alien for most of the movie. Yeah, it was, it was a very, so well very, done. So, oh my goodness. And no, really, it was, I watched the second one in the theater when I was like 17 or something like that. <laughs> and then I did not watch the first alien movie again. I saw it when I was like 12. Oh my or something goodness. really young. And I didn't watch it again until I was about 30. <laughs> 40 years old and then I'm partway through it going nope I remember 
was like, I no. am such a late bloomer. My father's master's in education was on the detrimental effects of TV <laughs> on people's minds, right? <laughs> so we had limited TV exposure. And the nearest movie theater was 40 miles, 40, 50 miles away. So until I had my license, there was no way I was going to a movie. And so Dave and I had been spending some time together. I was 17 and our first official sort of not just hanging around sort of thing, going skating or canoeing or whatever, our first kind of date type thing was, yeah, I would have been 17 maybe, American Werewolf in London. I was, that movie just popped in my head. You finish your story. So I think it's like retrospectively, it's kind of campy. At the time, it was a trip. I would let Dave go home. So my parents met Dave because he drove me home and everybody was in bed after, because by the time the movie shuts down and you drive 40 miles to come back home. And so he stayed out in our, we had a trailer and my parents had a summer kitchen and everything. So he stayed in one of the spots on the property. And so I woke up in the morning. I said, oh, Dave's here. And they're like, okay, sort of thing. And that's how they met. They knew he was around, but they didn't actually meet him because I was like, I'm not going home by myself. You know, <laughs> I need to know you're here sort of thing. So, yeah. I have a funny little story about movies and husbands. When The Exorcist first came out in the theaters, I was much too young to go to it. Uh, and, I, and I'd heard such terrifying things. I swore I would never watch it. It was the very first time my husband had come to my parents' house. Oh, similar. And he wasn't even my boyfriend then. He was just sort of a friend. And the house was so full of extra people that I was sleeping on the couch in the living room when we took an old cot mattress and stuck it on the floor in the living room as well. And he was sleeping on this cot mattress. And my sister had it on the VHS. She'd rented it and she had her her fella at the time. She's a teenager. And I sat and watched it. And I'm 23 or 4 years old at this point. Point. And I laid awake so freaked out. <laughs> and I was thinking, if I took my blanket and went over and laid on the floor, not on the mattress, but on the floor next to my friend here, I thought I might feel better. But then I thought, well, he's going to get the wrong idea if I do that. <laughs> and married to her, but that was the beginning. That was terrifying. I always I, saw that in the small screen. Yes, no, I no, haven't I seen that one. But no, yeah, American Werewolf in London, that was first date with a fella. Oh, you too. In, yeah, yes, yeah. in Winnipeg. So, and I was probably, I don't know, 22, 23, but by that point, maybe. It must have been a comeback to her or, or something. Well, yeah. Anyway. I, mean, for, I thought I was out of high school. Maybe not. Yeah, that movie destroyed me because <laughs> they were just on this vacation <laughs> and then their life is in the toilet and there's not a damn thing they can do about it. Yeah. It's the... I always have a harder time with people's psychological trauma. Yes. yes. Because I'm so messed up, I think. Yes. And I just think, oh my gosh, if you're going through this too, that's terrible for you. <laughs> no, I, I'm not a horror movie watcher. And no. I, that exorcist thing, I swore I wouldn't watch it. The problem with a lot of this horror movie stuff is that I don't know if my mind is broad or I have a ridiculous imagination. I believe so much of this could happen. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. who? how do we know that that alien wasn't living on a planet somewhere? You know, how do we know that that house isn't got that portal to hell underneath? <laughs> <laughs> what's it's the problem? you say that? I believe of, that this shit could happen. That's my problem. A lot of people who listen to true crime say they listen to true crime because it's a survival guide. That's <laughs> 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 right. But I think being exposed to horror movies at such a... I can't watch horror movies anymore. No, I find them really boring. No, well, I find them boring. Oh, no, I get terrified. Uh, they're so predictable for me. I know, like, that guy's going to kill that guy. And, like, the, the butler is actually the bad guy the whole time. Or, or, or like, the best friend. Yeah. But it's funny because Karen, Karen loves horror movies. That we pretty much, like, every Saturday this month, we'll watch a horror movie. And I'll be half asleep. That's how the why the creator for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he created Buffy the Vampire Slayer to make a complete contrast to that ditzy blonde who always gets killed in a horror movie. Yeah, the yeah. ditzy blonde was the vampire killer, so that's where they got the idea for that. Yeah, well, I just we, was reading that recently. We just recently watched uh, Nope. It's by Oh, I saw the uh, advertisement. For that. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Why bring it up if I don't remember his name? Was it scary? Jordan Peele. Yeah. I love the Jordan Peele movies. I, I don't think I've actually 
ever seen one of his movies. Oh, really? You, I, you... I, I think they would destroy me. Okay, yeah, don't watch us. No. Uh, but nope, it's kind of fun. It's not his best one, but it's fun. Candyman, probably don't watch that. <laughs> no, I'm not uh, watching any and, of that. Uh, get out. Uh, don't watch that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, like I just, I can't handle, like I say, it's the psychological yeah. torture. Mind you, when I do pick a movie, I do like psychological thriller yes. type movies. Mm-hmm. Not, but not so psychological. Yeah. So Nope had a bit more of an action movie mm. slant to it. Mm-hmm. It's still very good, but like compared to his other things, it's not yeah. on the same level. It's- so, Obviously, as we're sitting here, three witches and a druid sitting around talking about movies and talking about horror movies. You guys have all seen The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. So do you prefer Nicolas Cage or no, no Nicolas Cage? No, the old one. The old one. Yeah. yeah. The first, the old the first one, one. for sure. Yeah. The old one for sure. I didn't realize, but in, in the one with Nicolas Cage, the bees ending is an alternative ending. It's not on all the DVDs. It's only on some of them. Oh, yeah, you like, no, no, the bees. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I don't recall we that. We get stunned to death instead of oh, getting stuck okay. in That's not on all the DVDs. It's only yeah. on Slack. Huh. Yeah. I guess maybe it, I didn't see that. It, well, you probably didn't because Ooh. it's only on some. And it was put in to mess with your head. Because you'd be like... We, everybody's we expecting. Yeah, everyone's yes. expecting a different ending. Well, everybody expects the same ending, but that movie has different endings and doesn't present you to them all isn't that neat mm-hmm. i always like that and uh because you know you could be killed by bc these, these things can happen yeah <laughs> all starting with a little personal experience of mine oh. i had a negative feeder entity thing enter my house at one point it was uh we're going through you know going through a kind of a bad time sort of idea and that the and negative things can come in with you and the thing was just in the house we had to chase it out it was awful i remember it came down the stairs and it felt like it had swirled around me and it was just horrible and oddly enough my ex-husband at the time he was the one who was seeing it for someone who was not into paganism or any of that stuff at all he was always the one who would see the things which is weird and so it's like yeah i, I kind of believe that shit can happen because it sort of happened in my house <laughs> So it's two, crazy. Two other sort of pagan horror movies. Have you guys ever seen Midsummer? I don't watch any of them. Um, I <laughs> no. haven't seen Midsummer yet. Uh, we've not. been meaning to. It came out in 2019. Uh, Very... I just heard that it's just awful. Like not awful as in badly made, but the ending is just so absolutely mind. Yeah. The other one, and I liked this, but Karen hated this movie, but I loved it, was uh, The Ritual, which is very good. Okay. Yeah. So if you want uh, Pagany horror movies, that's not The Wicker Man or... Yeah. For Spooky Season. Blair Witch, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take your grandpa. You're going to watch Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> so the actual topic of today's episode is our personal experiences with the spooky side or the other dimensions or beyond the veil any of those experiences we say this recording in my wife's family home which is very very haunted how is it haunted well what happened so both of karen's father and one of her aunts passed away in this house and if you're downstairs you can hear footsteps all the time both me and her mother believe it Karen's in denial, but she's wrong. That's okay. Uh, You can hear footsteps. You can often hear doors closing and opening upstairs here. Uh, They both pass away upstairs. It's a very friendly spirit type thing. It's not a glasses lying across the room. Karen feels that if it is anything, it's most likely her aunt. Uh, Her aunt had passed away because she remembers her father mentioning the footsteps and stuff. So yeah, and Atticus has heard them before and he's like, who's that? It's like, oh. But... Funny enough, and this is just creepy kid things. When Atticus was really young, like three or four, he would tell us that Grampy visited them that night. And uh, they would talk about traveling and going in race cars and stuff. And it's like, your uh, your grandfather does not with us anymore. <laughs> so how did he visit you? And yet he, he could describe Karen's dad perfectly. Now, was was his grandfather into race cars? No, not overly. He was oh. into scuba diving. Okay, probably just toys. And yeah, toys adventures. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the fact that like Atticus, who had never, like Robert had passed away, I think now 12 years. So six years before Atticus was born. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And, uh, yeah, Atticus can describe him perfectly. He knows exactly who Robert was. That's wild. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. And it's amazing that it didn't frighten him. No, he was fine with that. Yeah. We actually had, (laughs) there was a point probably last year, maybe even the year before we had to tell the teacher, like he talks about his grandfather, just nod and smile. (laughs) 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 Especially in October. When when children are that young, everything is new to them and they're very accepting. So that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, we'll say they're more, they are more open to things. They're not dismissive of it or whatever because everything is so new yeah i i think they're open to the they're world they're so open and you they see so much and i did as a child and you were talking about being afraid of the dark absolutely terrified of the dark and i remember wishing i could have a night light so bad because i didn't like the dark myself when i was young but i don't know my parents were very nope the lights are off forget it go to sleep but i think a lot of that was because i used to see things swirling around my bedroom at night because mm. children see the things that are there and I could see them. It was like a, 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 a cloud, a wispy swirling cloud, but it had little lights in it. And I would see things like that flowing around my room and lights. And when I would, you know, yell out for my mother to come because I'm scared, of course, not that she meant to, it was just the way it was. It's like, oh, it's your imagination. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's okay. It's your imagination. It's your imagination. Where when my child was saying, oh, there's blah, blah, blah. I'd go in and go, well, who is it? Is it granny or is it grandpa Larry? Are they here? Is that, I would say, you know, to her, is that a fairy spirit that's in the room? And I made it like no big whoop. Who's who's here? Oh my goodness. How nice. If my mother would have done that, I probably wouldn't have been scared, but mm-hmm. because I thought it must be something terrible coming for just me. Right. Because your imagination, well, I knew it wasn't my imagination and it'd be nice to still see it. I'm not super psychic, but I do get visits from my, my grandfathers around a lot. My grandmother sometimes too. When I see the spirit in the house, I don't see, I don't hear them. I don't see forms, but I see probably like they'd be on the ceiling or high up in the wall and it's a light and it looks like it's got a thousand watt light bulb behind it and it's like the size maybe of a toonie or a little bit bigger and i'll see it and i'll go okay i've got company right i've got company and now all our international listeners need to go google what a toonie is (laughs) it's a coin it's a a, a form of currency here in canada just like our loonie yeah loonie is a one dollar coin and a toonie is a two dollar coin as a child again I don't consider myself terribly psychic at all, but I do remember the one spooky thing I remember for our summer vacations did a lot of camping and we were living in Ontario at the time and my mother's mother, my grandma, my maternal grandma, Grandma Erickson would come with us on our family vacations quite a bit. And I remember we were driving on the way to a campground through Ontario somewhere and we were passing a big, I can remember looking out the window and it was like a, a lumber cutting, like a, they had just cut all the lumber down and it was this big blank empty space kind of thing. And in my head popped, grandma is going to die when she's on vacation with us. <gasps> and it just, it didn't frighten me. I'm not sure it upset me because I thought, I probably thought you're just being silly. Why would you even think that? But it was probably the following year, if not one or two years later, is when the accident happened and she died in that accident with us. So that's maybe because of that, that being my only kind of psychic sort of experience probably cut shut everything down right after that like if thinking wow if i could 
feel that and saw that, I don't want to know anything else. Yeah. So I've really, really not been psychic. Well, exactly. Who, who are you going to tell? Yeah. <laughs> and it, that's true. I told no one. I was, you know, seven or eight or nine. Who am I going to tell? Who's going to believe me? Yeah. And why would I tell anybody that? Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, this wow. is a great family vacation. Oh, by the way, grandma's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> when she's with us. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, and, you know, we only saw her maybe two or three weeks every two or three years kind of thing, like for vacation. I was always astounded. My father was in the military, so we were transferred around a lot and never lived in the same town or even the same province as either sets of grandparents. So after I got out and sort of went to like a civilian school, my mind was blown when I heard that people, you know, went to their grandmas after school. Yeah. Just blew my mind. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, but children are very psychic. Oh, they for lose sure. it. They lose it. I had, and you've had a similar experience with your, your son. My daughter was about three, maybe four, probably tops four years old. And I was, she was coming out of the, getting out of the tub and I was drying her off. And of the cousins and all my friends' children, my daughter's the youngest. Mm-hmm. She was the youngest cousin. She was the youngest of all my friends' kids. So she really had very little concept of what pregnancy was. It didn't even, you know, she'd never had a, you know, me pregnant or been around pregnant people. And she looked up at me and she said, Mommy, do you remember a long time ago when you were in my tummy and I was the mummy? And I went, oh. And I said, no, honey, I don't remember. When was that? And she said, oh, long, long time ago before you were born, I was the mummy and you were in my tummy. Now, if she just would have said, I was the mummy, I thought she might have just been wishing she could boss me around. But when she started talking about the tummy, because she had no idea about pregnancy, she was too young. And I thought, oh, and, and another time we were, we were sitting on, I'll make the story short. And she was talking about where she was before she went to a tummy, where I was here before I went to a tummy. And I went, oh, that's very interesting. And she was talking about, she described what it was kind of like there, because we were looking at this kitten calendar cat mm. calendar says, oh there were there were cats like this where i was blah 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 and i said well what do you mean she says oh when i was you know we were waiting to go to a tummy there was kittens like this and we had this and that i'm like oh <laughs> and she wasn't old enough to make up that kind of story yet she was yeah. young enough that this wasn't a seven-year-old making up something for fun right she was like three three four tops four tops so very interesting i think you have a similar yeah, story both of my sons at you know between the ages of two and three when they have vocabulary enough to share had talked to me about past lives remember when and my oldest said to me something about remember when we used to be best friends you were a man and we were best friends and I was like I was a man and (laughs) and and we kind of left it at that and then easy 20 years later I was doing a past life regression had totally forgotten the incident you know it was just a childhood incident in raising my my children and I was in the middle of this past life regression and and it's everything is dark and I'm like oh great Oh, great. I'm failing at past life regression now, like blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that I kind of came to some awareness that I was actually blind. And there was, you know, I could tell by my clothes and I was sort of settled into the, the experience and the life and everything. And I realized that my son had come up beside me and we were leaning on a rural fence. And I would say probably Britain, but possibly it was European anyway. And it was a rural setting. We were kind of leaning on a fence and I was aware that he had taken me in after World War One, and I had been damaged by gas and lost my sight and was failing. And even though we were young-ish, I wasn't long for this world, but he had taken me in and I was living on his farm. So, yeah, interesting. And then after I came back and recorded all of that down, I went, wait a minute, remember when he said we were best friends and you were a man. And I was like, I wonder if this is the That's time he was thinking. amazing. Yeah. I just got chills yeah. listening it's, to that it's story. Amazing. I truly believe that my daughter was coming for me, regardless of who her father was going to be. Mm-hmm. She was coming to my life. I believe that. <laughs> so the moral of uh, our little stories here are pay attention to your children when they're young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they still remember. Has Atticus given you anything like that? You've gotten anything like that? No, 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 no past life, just uh, seeing past away grandfathers. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's very, very cool. But but, uh, pay attention to your children. 
Yes. Because they're not just, you know, when they're real little, they're remembering. Well, I spent a school year as a nanny years and years ago. Like, I think it might have been my second year here in Nova Scotia. And she was maybe four months old when I started with her. And the house was near Dalhousie. And every afternoon we would go out in the stroller and walk around because there were some amazing houses around there. And when she was got old enough to kind of be aware of her surroundings, she wasn't really verbalizing, but she would point and ver- like and just make noises. And I remember saying, what do you think you see? What do you think you see? And it was probably after a week or two of that, I thought, she doesn't think she sees anything. Yeah. She's seeing something. Absolutely. And I need to change my language yes. for that. Yeah. Because I'm I am not at all validating her. Yeah. So it did become what are you seeing? What do you see when she would point mm-hmm. and and make note of things? And she was really open and she seemed to really see a lot. Now she was still only, you know, less than a year, I think, when I was done that job. So she never really got got speaking. Mm-hmm. So I never really got to hear any of her stories. Yeah. But uh, she was very aware of her surroundings. And I mean, in a very, very old part of our city, too. Halifax mm-hmm. is a very old city. By North I mean, American standards. By North American standards. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. I had something, I had two things, and I'll tell one with my daughter. She was old enough that she could stand up in her crib, but I don't know, don't think she was walking yet. And she was the type of child who you plopped her down in her crib, you could put her down in her crib awake, shut off all the lights, shut the door, and that was it. You never heard another word till 12 hours later. She was never, one, you know, even when she was like three years old, she didn't need a nightlight. You just shut the door. And one night, oddly enough, And she never did this. I could hear her. I could hear her laughing and jibber-jabbering and talking and whatever they do. And I went in and she's standing up in her crib. And I'm like, oh, this is weird. And I said, no, this is enough. And I laid her down, covered her up. And a few minutes later, blah, 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 talking away and jibber. And up, I could hear her jumping in the crib. You know, when you're just old enough to sort of jump. I went back in and laid her down. And then this happened a third time. And I'm like, what is this? And then it dawned on me and I went into the bedroom and I stuck my finger up and I said, everybody in this room's going home. I said, it's nice. She came to visit. I said, but it's time for her to go to sleep. Everyone go home, come back tomorrow. Laid her down, covered her up, never heard another word. (laughs) So yep, she was talking to some relatives and showed up. She was yapping away and they may have come back or may not, but I caught on. This is what's going on. I told everyone go home and that was the end of it. Yeah. So do we have any experiences outside of Beyond the Curtain? Meaning? Well, well, I'll bring it up then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had an experience at the first, and I'm positive I've told this story before, at the first PEI packing gathering I attended. Yeah, we're up in Robinson Island. Oh, it's beautiful. Day. And between the raccoons and squirrels stealing every all everyone's food constantly and yeah. finding bags of hot dog buns halfway up trees, <laughs> that's the first time I'm convinced I saw the Fae Folk. Okay. Yeah. How did they manifest to you? Because I have an experience as well. They were uh, just two of them were running across the field uh, very late at night. There was no fires at that festival. I think it was too dry. That it was, I think it was too dry. Too dry. Uh, and I thought for the first, for the longest time, well, maybe it was a, a firefly or something. There really isn't any fireflies in PEI. And I, like growing up, there, I'd never seen a firefly in my entire life. Yeah, so to this day, I'm convinced that somebody somebody or something uh, ran across the field very quickly. Didn't really want to be seen, but was seen. And uh, my partner at the time had seen it as well. They thought as well, like, could that have been a firefly? But it moved much, much, much too fast for it to be a simple firefly. I do remember seeing fae-type things as a child. can't remember the details now. That's one of the reasons why there's no fairies. <laughs> for me so my experience was here locally in the city and was about the summer but it was about nine o'clock at night so it was twilight ish and i was walking 
home from a friend's place. And actually she would always be like a walk and halfway. And we were like four and a half blocks apart. And Dave would always get home from work in the middle of the night. So one night a week, we would always meet and I would walk up to her place. Anyway, on the way back, if she hadn't been there, I'd have like managed to dismiss it. But to have that validation of, did you see that? And it was about three to four feet off the ground to erat. If they were fireflies, they were monster fireflies. They were they were this maybe two or three inches of glowing light with a with a brighter core sort of thing. Yeah. And they moved very, very quickly out of our peripheral vision, almost parallel to us, and then kind of hovered a bit and kind of moved back and forth and then changed direction and moved into another backyard. And and we live in a older developed area that's that's maybe from World War II sort of thing. And there's lots of grown trees and lots of little areas that were not filled in by houses. So there's lots of green space and stuff. And that came from one green space down the sidewalk. And I'm like, did you see that? And she's like, did you see that? <laughs> and there was just this hint of laughter in the air. We didn't hear laughter, but there was like a feeling of laughter in the air. I can't say I heard laughter, but we both felt like, and we both were like, is that kids? Did we hear laughter? And we were looking like, is it some weird mini drone? Is it whatever this 10 years ago or so? And we looked all over for, you know, some mundane reason for this to have happened, but there wasn't anything. There was nothing. It's very similar to my experience is if they were fireflies, it was gigantic ones. And I, I can still picture it today. It's almost like when you take one of those photos with a long shutter speed and you blur the light. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what it looked like. So that, but it was moved so quickly. That terrible Snow White and the Huntsman movie. Yeah. There is a scene where these things mm-hmm. come. These, these little balls of light come and bounce around when they go through the... And I, I'm like, Dave, 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 that's, that's what I saw. That's very much like what I saw. So some other person has seen, has had that experience because they made it, you know, it was a, a vision for in a movie or whatever. But I was like, that's, you know, that, that erratic way, but fast that they, and, mm-hmm. and that hint of laughter in the air that never really manifested as a laugh. So once yeah. doing a, it was quite a few years back, we were doing a May Day ritual. And we were outside and it was nighttime. And I thought I must have made that up because I heard panpipes. Oh. And I said, am I the only one who heard that? And other people in the circle said, no, you weren't. It was very interesting. But Lovely. when you're talking about that fey thing, when I was young in single digits, I lived very rurally and we had this field behind our house. And it was the field would always grow up with a lot of clover and whatnot. And not so much the lights and all that, because I've seen a lot of fireflies. It was, have you ever seen the movie Spiderwick? Yes. And at yeah. one point when she looks down to her flowers and says, it's okay. The souls, yeah. That's what I used to see back in this mm. field were fae folk, but they weren't little humanoid. They were made of flowers or leaves or and they were definitely moving around it was not just i know it wasn't my imagination my yeah. mother would have said it was but that was the ones i would see it's like no man i have that in my house yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know at the time i would have thought it was the greatest thing in the world but Jared, they're just it's tricky man as i got older it was like yeah no, i'm not doing that i do have one story but do we have time for it it's a little yeah. long no, no, sorry. gwen wanted to hear it yeah it's a fabulous story i haven't and heard it in a while this story is not about me this is a story that i sat at my dining room table and heard i do host family for international students for a english language college here in Halifax, and i have had these two girls from mali which is in the west coast of africa Timbuktu is in Mali, actually. One of the girls I had once, her father was from Timbuktu. You don't even think of Timbuktu as a real place, but it is. So she tells the story about her father's brother. Him and his wife had a daughter, a baby. The baby disappeared at a few days old. They have no idea what happened to it. They never found the child. It disappeared like somebody walked in, took the child, and it was gone. It was a big deal. No one could find a police, whatever kind of deal. 20 years later... This girl, woman, young woman, showed up to their family and said, this is who I am. 
that they were the missing child. And they were like, what do you mean? This was, you know, this is the missing child, like a family resemblance, whatever the case might be. And her story was this. And remember, in the Islamic world, they didn't get rid of a lot of their mysticism when it came to spirits and jinn and fae and all of that. A jinn had stolen her when she was a few days old to be his wife. And the jinn had raised her and eventually told her, this is your family. Go back and talk to, you know, see them. And this is where they lived. And this is this. And this is who they were. And she went back and she knew who people were because she'd been told because she had been raised by a jinn. And they believed this. Absolutely. This was not a funny little tale. So the story continues that she was living, the, the, the girl, the stolen child was living in Germany at that time. And she had she, she got married because they get married fairly young, a lot of them. And she had a human husband and a jinn husband. And apparently she lived with the jinn husband several days a week and the human husband other days of the week. And the human husband was also another person from Mali who believed this. And her father and her uncle, the, the stolen child's father and the father of the girl who was sitting at my dining room table, they went to visit her in Germany. And... She told me that her father said when they went in, there was a gigantic snake on the other side of the room and it left and it went out the door. And that apparently was the gin going, no, I'm not sticking around for this. And she's like, that's my husband, the gin. And these girls absolutely believed it. And I believe damn near anything. <laughs> so it's very interesting. And and even the other girl who was not related to her was like, yeah, these things happen. And and jinns that watch over them and jinns that show up at this and that. And some of them are tricksters and some of them are this or that. It was extremely interesting to listen to. And it was accepted. Yes, she was indeed stolen by a jinn. And it wasn't, oh, you're making up lies. Who really did it? Nothing. These were not living very, you know, very uneducated people. These are people in the top 1% of their country. And they absolutely believe this that she had been stolen by a jinn and the father claims he says yes i saw that it was a huge snake and out the door it went and that was her husband so there we go that's a freak out story <laughs> and i'm like can somebody make this up <laughs> didn't even know what to think but you know they believed it so that's okay well, you think of how many thousands of years of human development there has been acknowledgement of other realms there has mm -hmm. been interaction between and an acknowledgement of, and we have this small bubble of time in a small portion of the world, not even numerically large, but yeah. as, but in an influential partial part of the world from sort of the time of uh, what the late 1600s on, where we're starting to poo poo that as materialism and realism and all those sorts of things as, as philosophical systems are embraced that have given us lots of things, but does that negate experiences and histories of thousands of years and billions of people? It's true. And if you have still, and I mean, probably 75% of the world still believes a lot in these things. Mm -hmm. And if it's been going on for millions of years already, mm -hmm. like, and we're just like, no, that can't be true. I think that the rise up of uh, Christianity Mm -hmm. Because they got rid of, like, Islam kept a lot of that mysticism with the the, the fey or the jinn and all of that, where Christianity turned it completely away. Yeah. And, like, that's not real. And if it is, you, the devil's talking to you. So right. people started blocking it out because it must be the devil. It must be all of this. And uh, that's very Western, Western culture. Oh, there's yeah. no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as this. And I believe it's all there. I actually, after this experience in the mirror that I had, there was part of me that did think, is that me in another dimension? Mm -hmm. Or is that just a second part of me? And I was thinking, is there a way to slip dimensions through trance or journey? Or because we've seen, we've seen past lives, but that's happened. Is there a way for us to slip into another dimension oh, and see I, another? I, think I so. absolutely believe so. Oh, I believe there is, but I'm wondering yeah. how could I do it? Uh, I know that that there are people who have considered that some missing peoples have slipped through mm -hmm. portals to other dimensions, like people that have gone and come back. And we have stories historically of that. But I, you know, like 
there are still that that's possibly maybe. So do that with safeties in place. Yes. But don't do it alone in the house. Make sure there's something with you. <laughs> and, and, and yeah. We'll stop yeah. all the, the folklore of, you know, you stepped into a fairy ring. Exactly. And someone disappears for 20 years and comes back and looks the same and their family's all 20 years older. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, you don't hear that once or twice in Ireland or anywhere, anywhere in the world, really, Ireland, England, or there would be the ones that we would be hearing, Scotland. But it's in every country. People disappeared. Oh, it's definitely a multi-worldwide yeah. Yeah. Worldwide cultural thing. Cultural thing disappearing. So to me, it's like, how can parts of this just simply not be true? I think they have yeah. to be because it's and, so universal. And I kind of feel sometimes in the dream state, mm. that's slipping into an alternative dimension Mm -hmm. because I can have some incredibly detailed and intense and seems very long. I know they're not. There are times that when I come back, I'm exhausted from the experience. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's not just something that I've watched in the dream. Like a lot of my dreams. Mm -hmm. I actually went through all this. And when I wake up, I have all the emotions and residual exhaustion or tension from physically experiencing this. Do you now, do you dream about, and I do this, and I was having this conversation with a friend just yesterday, that I have been in my dreams. I was, I dreamt about this house. So I had the dream the other night and this is a house I've been going to in my dreams since I was a child. And I have never in person been in this place. Do you have that? Like going to the same place that you've never, ever been, but you've dreamt about it repeatedly over 50 years. Uh, I had that when I was younger. It was a reoccurring nightmare, but a house on a hill. Uh, and then eventually I burned down the house on the Way hill. to take control. Yeah, Good yeah. for you. Good. Could be a, a, a past life thing. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, I, that was my thought is this house. Maybe it's a, re, it's a past life thing, but I know I've probably never been anything much more than a peasant. And somebody pointed out to me, well, maybe you were a servant in that house because it was a very rich house. It was a late Victorian era house. And I also have, there's a person, there's been this one person I've been dreaming about since I was a child and they appear in my dreams by times I've never met them in person. I haven't dreamt about them in a couple of years, but for 50 years, I dreamt about this person and I've never met them in real life. And there's another place, this river under a bridge where you can go swimming and I've gone there many times, never been there in real life, but I'll have to go back to the same place. So I'm thinking it's past life. Or is it other dimension? I don't know. The slipping dimensions. I'm very curious. Now I'm going to have to go research that. How do you slip dimensions? (laughs) (laughs) And slip back. Does anybody remember that episode of Star Trek Next Generation where all the enterprises appeared um, because every decision, Uh, other decision, like if you, if you, every time, say you can go left or right. Well, you may go right, but what could have happened to you going left is in another dimension. And if you say, okay, am I going to have pasta for supper or I'm in the mood for fish? Well, if you have pasta, you having the fish is in another dimension. And it just keeps, you know, two friends, two friends, two friends kind of deal. So that's an interesting idea too. You know, would you want to maybe see you? Would you be really upset at seeing yourself in another dimension? Or would you be really envious? Well, with that concept course there is another dimension for all of your drastic changes there's also another dimension for all your incredibly mundane choices in life <laughs> so what's the difference between you this this mave and that mave well i decided to have salmon today it's literally the only difference <laughs> but there's one of them because yep. that is a choice you made yeah so that that's a very interesting interesting thought and i'm wondering with astral travel, and I've never really astral traveled, like not unless I was in a journey state or really high <laughs> or drunk or something crazy at one of those times. Is astral travel jumping in dimensions? A lot of people will astral travel and stay in this present dimension, the present mm. world. But can you, if you used astral travel, could you jump dimensions? I have a funny story about that, actually. Oh, the first time I was on Rhonda's crystal bed with the magnets and the heat and everything, she was doing Reiki on me and I left my body. Right. And I wasn't sure where, I mean, I 
absolutely left my body. And it took maybe five minutes. Like it didn't take long at all. And she knew I was gone as well. And I went out and saw the shape of the universe. And I was like, I'm only little me. This is way too much. Like, no, I, 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 there's no reason for me to see this. And no, like, I'm nobody. I would really and like you to draw I a picture of that. Nope, <laughs> out of there so fast. And she again saw me when I came back. Right. But it scared the living shit out of me. That's big. It was big. Like, it, like I was just like, yeah, nope, nope. I, this is not for me. I'm not worthy. I'm out of here. And she felt when I came back yeah. again. And now, and subsequent times on the, like, I've never left my body like that on the bed But you again. probably mm-hmm. put up barriers so I'm you wouldn't. Sure. Because, have, because, because that, that denial of just it. Way you're, you know, you're quite art. You're very artistic. Draw a picture of what I you do, saw. I truly do not know if I could make a representation that anybody else could understand. Yeah. If you're in the mood to try sometime, I'd love to see <laughs> that. See, no things pressure. like that, things like no that pressure. just fascinate me. Yeah. I just noped out of there like so fast. It as was crazy. As a child, I astral traveled a lot. But as a child, your world is, you know, that it wouldn't have occurred to me. And I very mundanely went to visit my grandparents and my babysitter because my mother was working at the time and those sorts of things. And because I was the oldest child and usually the only child with a lot of adults around me, I was used to playing quietly in a corner and listening to adult conversations at a very young age. And um, so it was not an unusual experience for me, like to go visit my grandparents and to hang out in the corner and just listen to them talking at the table was not out of the ordinary for me. So and I was young, so I didn't know that this was wrong. I called it my special dreams because I would I would do it when I'd got, be sent to bed. And I had a routine where I, I would know once I started to leave the bed and I would go down the stairs and I would start to take flight. Okay, so this didn't happen when you were sleeping. I would be in that half awake, okay, half asleep. Okay. And I go, mm-hmm. because I, and I was a... Oh, what do you call it? Uh, I was the kind of dreamer that I could take control of my dreams anyway. Lucid but dreaming. Lucid dreaming. Yeah. dreaming. So I would walk down the stairs and I would start to lift off and I'd say, let's go. And I think, well, I want to go see my grandparents or my paternal grandparents or something. And I didn't know till I was later because my parents didn't want to feed into it because, you know, they didn't want me to be weird. So that didn't work out so <laughs> well for them. Parental fail. But I would come back with information that they did not have. And they were like, oh, you were always psychic, blah, blah, blah. And I can remember certain times where I would say, no, no, I'm not doing that because so-and-so sick. They, and you know, they didn't know so-and-so was sick, but I knew, I'm like, they were sitting around the table talking about it last night. Don't you remember? And they're like, we weren't there last night. They live 50 miles away. I'd be like, well, I was there. I don't know where <laughs> you people were, but I was there sort of thing. And I'm five, six. And then they get the phone call saying, you can't come. Your grandmother's sick. And then, you know, I, I get the hairy eyeball sort of thing. After being told I was saucy for arguing with them you know like earlier in the day I was saucy but then they were like oh creepy Gwen Um, (laughs) but as an adult when they brought those up I was like that's when I realized that that was astral travel I was like those are my dreams I call those my my good dreams my special dreams and then I would go and visit these people but I moved out of that house so I don't have that nice little routine to go through mm. that ritual i had obviously developed a ritual as a child isn't that interesting in that, that i would do this and do this and then i could go so That's you know I've, I've had a few interesting experiences mentored by other people as an adult but not self-started in the way that i did as a child get, you could probably get it back I, I really would like to it'd be nice i used That'd to be interesting i was one of those people who was all, who used to fly in their dreams a lot i haven't done that, that in years in my dreams now if i try to fly it's not happening yeah but when you said fly and i thought oh were you sleeping are you awake but you were awake when you started mm. it's very interesting yeah 
Well, this has been an interesting episode. And um, thank you very much for tuning in with us. We're very happy to be here. And it's a beautiful, beautiful day. And the leaves are starting to change. So everyone's happy. So thank you very much. And if you'd like to contact us, you have any questions, suggestions, topics you'd like us to talk about. Our Facebook is actually quite actively. We've gotten oh. some really good episode recommendations for that. Oh, oh well, we to great. Check that. Check Excellent. That out Excellent. And so you can contact us on our Facebook page. Three Witches and a Druid Podcast would like to take a moment to shout out to our amazing Patreon supporters from all around the world. Today, Marco, Gwen, Maeve, and Brian would like to welcome our newest Patreons, Chris, Stephanie Matthew, Samantha Brooks, and Thomas Wilding. Without your generous contributions, now and over the past two seasons, we could not bring you this magical content, and we thank you once again for listening. And until next time, everyone, merry meet, merry Merry part, and merry meet again. Blessed be. This has been Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.